Hello, everyone. We're glad you found us, and welcome to our podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. We hope you find this show entertaining and informative. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. Hi, everyone. This is Martin Willis with episode number 94. We have a number of announcements to make. First of all, we are now on Stitcher. Stitcher is a program you can access from our website to download on your smartphone and listen to our show on that. We have a lot of activity on Stitcher. We're pretty happy about that. And so if you found us that way, please go to our website, which is antiqueauctionforum.com. Our message board is open. Our message board has been closed for several months due to spammers, and we figured out that problem. So please go check out our message board. You can interact with other people that are collecting or dealers. One more announcement. We are now getting our shows completely transcribed by antiquesnearme.com. So if you go up to our top menu bar, you will see show notes. Go there, and you can read our entire show transcriptions. Our guest today is Ron Berkey of the Flying Tiger Antiques in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He has an in-depth knowledge of militaria, which we are mostly speaking about today. Well, Ron Berkey, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Good. I'm here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire at Ron Berkey's home, lovely home. And uh, Ron, we've known, it's, it's always good to do a podcast with a friend, and uh, we've known each other for, what, 20 years? Uh, at least, yeah. Yeah. Probably yeah. Closer to 25, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, you look marvelous. Well, so do you. Yeah. Coming each the day. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, today we'll be talking about militaria, and, uh, but you also are a collector of other historical type antiques. Well, can you kind of, kind of explain exactly what you do? What I tell people after, you know, if, if I'm just generalizing, I'll say I'm an antiques dealer, but uh, I tell people I deal in historical artifacts. And by that, a uh, quick way to describe it is pretty much anyone that ever wore a uniform. So you've got not just the military, but you've got police and fire, you've got any form of transportation, railroad, steamship, airline, even scouting, Boy Scout, Girl Scout, um, back in the early 20th century or, or even earlier, you know, a delivery person for milk would have a uniform and they might have insignia, badges and stuff. People collect all that. I deal in literally thousands of niche markets. Uh-huh. Now, before you moved to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where were you from? Uh, I moved around a bit, but most of my life in New Hampshire. I just lived uh, a little further away in southern New Hampshire, Plastown, New Hampshire. Yeah. Now, how I have to ask you this. How did you initially get in, interested in this field? Well, I was always interested in history, and just from a, as a small child, I think it's one of the reasons that we don't have as much interest in history in young people today is that uh, I had the extended family experience. Uh, spent a lot of time with my grandparents growing up, mm-hmm. and so they would tell me stories about not just when my mother might have been small, but when they were small. And it just was mind blowing at seven years <laughs> old, you know, to think about how long ago that was. Um, Dropping the bucket for us now, but yeah. <laughs> so. Um, you know, it, it, that just spurred my interest in history, and, and any time a little artifact represented some period of history or something that was taking place, that you know spurred my caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that you started collecting first for yourself? I did. It was more of accumulating. I just you know would find neat little things, I bottles, then to beer cans, comic books. I think I chose comic books first, then beer <laughs> cans, 
yeah. uh, back to comics. And then I was set up at a flea market here in uh, Newington, New Hampshire. I was still I was in college at the time, and set up next to a guy that dealt pretty much specifically in military. And I'd always been interested in history, and there was this stuff right there. It just never dawned on me it was so accessible. So um, you know, little by little, I took a trip to Texas, and um, my father bought me a whole big uh, framed collection of hat badges from the Civil War to World War One, and that's what got me started. And wow. It was just, started to buy more stuff, and, you know, just kind of evolving. And so now, um, you now you do shows uh, pretty much everywhere, don't you? I do. I've cut way back on shows. I probably do 10 to 12 a year. At one time, I was doing about 36 a year. Uh, yeah. It's unfathomable. Yeah, it doesn't make for a social life, that's for sure. <laughs> um but you know, shows have really died down because of the internet. So mm-hmm. what you know, the shows are still a great place for me to buy. It funnels things into them, you know, that are of, of yeah. my interest. And you know, being a specialist, I can usually buy from other dealers and things like that. Um, but a lot of the shows just don't do anything. You know, like they don't they don't bring in much merchandise to buy. There are no collectors coming to them. Everybody can go to the internet now. So that's uh, mm-hmm. you know the show, I, that's why I've cut back so much on shows. I still go because the hopes to buy really more than the hopes to sell. Yeah. What is up? Uh, is there any show that's geared specifically to the type of things you sell? Yeah. In fact, the shows that I still do are mostly military shows. I have mm-hmm. done police shows and airline shows and a few general antique shows, but I don't perform very well at them. Um, even even though I'm well known in the police collecting field um you know just that one moment in front of somebody at a show it just isn't enough the website works great the the customers i've already have established in that area but so the the shows that i do that are really important the most important show is the uh, the show of shows in louisville kentucky Mm -hmm. it's probably the biggest all military show in the world there's not even very much in the way of guns because uh, military collecting is a little bit of an offshoot of gun collecting Mm -hmm. um so initially, I used to do quite a few gun shows back when I was doing those thirty-something shows, but now um, the gun shows are really for guns, and the military shows are for militaria. And this Louisville show is over fifteen hundred tables, and it's just crazy. I mean, people wow. come from all over. It's uh, it's like four days or five days long, and I don't get to see everything in all that time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's just it's really really a great experience. And anyone that collects military should go there at least once to see what yeah. that's all about. Now, do any Europeans collect American military? Very much so. The uh, I'd say mostly it's in the France and Belgium area. Mm-hmm. They really have an interest because of the Americans coming there in D-Day and everything. So there's a big World War II paratrooper interest. Um, and then that branches out into aviation as well. The Brits collect a lot of American aviation, especially World War II. Um, the Italians a little bit, and uh, Japanese collect a lot of aviation. Um, World War Two and later, they really, you know, they really like American aviation. Really? Yeah. Wow. After everything that happened. Well, and, and that's it's kind of the Japanese mentality, as a friend explained to me, that just you know being able to collect the stuff that the victors um, had mm-hmm. is of interest to them. Their own stuff is not as a, of interest. A lot of not a lot, but a few American dealers I know go over there on a regular basis to buy Japanese artifacts to bring back here to sell. Really? Yeah. Now we'll get into a little bit more about what's hot and what's not type of thing later. But if you were to tell a novice out there that had a spark of interest in collecting something like this, where would someone start for knowledge? The problem with your question is, is it's general, the fact that it's so general. Um, there's just, as I mentioned, I deal in literally thousands of niche markets. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like 
if you are going to collect militaria, you're not going to collect everything, unless you just want to run around to yard sales or, you know, whatever falls your way kind of thing. But if you want to get focused on something, then, yeah, I would say, you know, perhaps see if there's a book based, you know, that, that will show you real artifacts of that particular area of collecting interest. Mm-hmm. And then uh, find out who the good guys are quickly, because there are dealers that um, either don't know what they're selling or out and out do know what they're selling, and they're selling fakes. You uh, you know you want to get with someone who has a very good reputation, and uh, and try and deal with them. Sure, uh, those are those are really the best bits of advice I can say. There, there's not a lot of there's so much information out there. I can't point you in one direction. Sure, okay. Uh, unfortunately, now I. I always like to talk about fakes on the show, and maybe some of the listeners get tired of listening to it, but uh, I was surprised when I first heard that World War II medals and things were being faked, because it just seems to me more recent than, like, you would imagine, like, Civil War, I definitely understand Confederate items and stuff like that, belt buckles you have to really watch out for, but when it comes to military, I've heard they're even faking some Vietnam items. Vietnam items have been faked ever since I got involved, which was the late 80s. Uh-huh. And uh, whatever is hot will be faked. Yes. And that's the, all that matters. That's the general rule across the board. Right. And yeah. so it has nothing to do with the vintage. It mm-hmm. blows my mind, too. The, the German wound badge from World War II is maybe a... Well, actually, let's go to World War One. They're a little less desirable because they don't have a swastika on them. So let's say it's a $40 item. I mean, when I first got involved with this, it was a $10 item. Okay? Mm-hmm. They were fakes. They, they were fakes then? There were fakes of, the, of that item. You know, just to give you an example of the cheapest thing that they will fake, they just... They'll fake a $10 item. Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy. And, it, and the sad thing, especially, like, one of the things that, that I'm known as an expert uh, in are pilot's wings, aviator's mm-hmm. badges from yeah. World War One through World War Two, mm-hmm. And not just America, and other countries as well. And there are so many fakes out there. In some areas... You know, it makes it seem like these things are so much more common than they are, and that's the sad part. It really, that's what I really hate about fakes, is it actually kills a market. Sure. Not only because it'll, it'll turn off a collector. But it brings um, the price down because you can get right, it. Right, because, well, no, because people just think they're everywhere. They yeah. don't know the difference. You right. know, if they, if they really, you know, if somebody even just casually wanted a World War II pilot's wing and didn't realize, you know, they don't know the difference looking between a real one or a fake one. They just casually want one. It'd be cool to have. Yeah. So if they see one for 20 bucks, it's sterling silver. Okay, great, I'll buy it. You know, whereas a real one, an entry-level price would be like $75, and a more common price would be 100 to 1 and a quarter. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just really hurts a market. That person finds out eventually he didn't buy a real thing. He doesn't want it. Maybe if he bought a real thing, found out he bought a little bit of a treasure, then he'd go on to collect more things. Yeah, it hurts the whole collecting market. Exactly. Now, when you look at a casting of a fake, is it not quite up to snuff with an original? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard to tell people. I have a really good eye. I always have. I mm-hmm. when I got into this, I didn't have the money to waste on fakes. So. It's hard to tell people what verbally. Well, it, it is right? unless you have the items in front in of you. Hand. If, if I mm-hmm. had a real and a fake of the same thing, because okay, there's mm-hmm. there's you know I don't know the exact number, but let's just uh, say there's 50 different types of World War One and World War yep. Two pilots wings, just by maker alone. Let alone if you get involved with the things that were made overseas because wherever our troops went, they would make things locally to sell to the troops as well. So you've got I didn't wings, that. Yeah, wings mm-hmm. made in England, wings made in um, China, India, Burma, you know, wow. so I mean, yeah, so 
you've got all that to take into place. But anyway, so if you have a real wing and you have a fake one, then it's a lot easier to say, okay, see, you know, a lot of times if they are cast, they're going to be a little bit shorter, but they've gotten so much better at casting, mm-hmm. and, and it's done so cheaply, you know, yeah. in, in China usually, I guess now, that, um, you know, people can get fooled, and, and patina, you know, they'll they'll dip things in something to make them corrode real quick. And Does, does someone out there making something so good that it will fool you? Um, no, in fact, usually they make some kind of a mistake. They do make things too good, quote-unquote. The last, you know, great thing that came out that I pretty much discovered, because people were starting to buy them, and they are starting to think, wow, look at this treasure I found, and I'm like, something's not quite right about this. Mm-hmm. What they were were um, uh, wings for pilots, again, in the World War II and in, in the uh, American Army Air Force, were made in Australia. And they're pretty rare, and they're a highly sought-after wing. Well, so suddenly we're starting to see these Australian-made wings, and I'm like, something's just not right about these guys. Yeah. I think, you know, I think you should hold off. I mean, I suddenly, I, once I kind of really nailed what was going on, everybody came out of the woodwork like, oh, geez, I bought ten of those, or I bought five of those, or yeah. I bought one of each that of those. That just doesn't happen. No. And yeah. that's, you know, people were were, you know, just thinking they were finding the right thing, and they looked so good, and the problem was they were too good. The real mm-hmm. ones were not made with the same precision uh-huh. that the fakes were made. Probably they used computer generating and everything like that, so they didn't have the, um, you know, the analog feel, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, of the original things. They they were just too crisp. Wow! And that's how I caught them. And then, of course, once you once you know something's wrong, then you start yeah. comparing. And say, oh, okay, they used the wrong catch here. The pin, the end of the pin, was a dead giveaway. I mean, it's just. Little yeah. things like that, you know. Yeah. I mean, but it is very hard verbally to tell people. Again, that's why I stress if you want to collect, find a good mm-hmm. dealer. Find somebody who's good. Don't just go by his word. Go by his reputation. You know, I, if yeah. you go on to the, the military forums, you can find out pretty quick. You just type in, you know, who, is this guy someone to be trusted to mm-hmm. deal with? And people will be happy to tell you. And I have a stellar reputation. People might say my prices are high, but they don't ever have to worry about buying anything from me that's not real. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I'm here with you today talking to you, because I know I know of that. What I've always come across when it comes to World War II is going into an estate and opening a box and finding, you know, all this military, all these military pins, and you know that it's right right then. So is that the way you like to buy? Well, of course, it's the, le- the way anyone likes to buy. Um, what happens at this stage in the game for me is, you know, that happens on occasion, but more often than not, I'm being collect, be, being contacted by other collectors, other dealers, uh, families that have stuff maybe, but mostly it's, you know, I'm being collected by, by pickers or middlemen, mm-hmm. and I'm buying my things that way, so sure. I have to use my knowledge, yeah. you know, to uh, assess the authenticity. But, yeah, of course, if, if I can find it from the family, that's the best way, just because it's fresh. Right, right. Now, we've known each other way before the Internet was around. So let's talk about what you were doing and what you've changed since that's all come about. Well, I really wanted to hold out. I didn't want to be on the computer at all, <laughs> of course, like many of us. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, at first, you just, I would be out at least four days a week antiquing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and going to shops and going to uh, pickers' homes or whatever, trying to see what was new and buy new things to sell at the shows on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And slowly that evolved, you know. eBay came on the scene, and and everybody started throwing stuff on eBay, and you know, it's, 
it stopped being so much fun to go to the shops. People weren't putting things out in the shops. They knew that they could just throw it on eBay, and people would know what it was, mm-hmm. even if they didn't, and they'd get a more realistic price for it. Um, so then, And I, sell it instantly. Right. And yeah. so I started buying stuff on eBay, too, along with everyone else. And, um, you know, then you grow from there, and it's like, okay, military dealers started tiptoeing into having their own websites, and mm-hmm. I got on that um, a little late. I mean, I, I had a site probably as early as 98 or 99, but yeah, that is early. didn't yeah. really utilize it very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very painstakingly uh, tedious to, to build a page, you know, page by page. Now mm-hmm. my website's pretty easy. It's kind of done like Amazon, you know, where we just put in a bit, a bit of information and pictures, and when someone clicks on something, it instantly builds the website. What's the name of your, your website? will be linked under this podcast, but... If someone's listening to iTunes or Stitcher or something like that, what's the name of your website? FlyingTigerAntiques.com. Uh-huh. And I looked on that this morning. I've looked on it a number of times, but it's it looks like a very active site and well laid out. Thank you. looks like you have a lot of things uh, for sale on there. Yeah, and, you know, those categories give you an idea of all those different niche markets yeah. you're dealing with. a whole bunch of categories. And subcategories under those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, what is, uh, I, I've known, uh, when I was in San Francisco, there was a wonderful police badge, early San Franciscan police badge that went to auction that I watched now. If I remember right, it went for quite a bit of money. Other than militaria, what would you say is like a really hot market? Well, it, even in other areas besides militaria, it still niches within those markets. You know, mm-hmm. so when you say police... There are police badges that I have upstairs that if someone wanted to give me $20 for it, I, you know, I'd thank them. Uh-huh. Um, and then there are ones that I have that are like $5,000. Yeah. And so it's all the, you know, delineating inside that, that area of interest, you know, what's, what is, you know, of great interest to a larger crowd. And so your major cities are mm-hmm. of interest to collectors. State police are of interest and uh, Old West is another whole different animal. Mm-hmm. Um, there are iconic badges that are known to have been owned by famous lawmen, like Bat Masterson and things like that. Those are over five, uh, six figures now. Those yeah, so are both, just, I mean, who it belonged to plays a big part in that. It does, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And is that the same for military? It, it, it definitely is. Uh, just recently, a couple of generals' uniforms uh, sold General uh, Jimmy Doolittle led the Doolittle oh, yes. mm-hmm. and uh, considered a very important person in the war, of course. And mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, the more expensive of the two went over $30,000 just for his uniform. Really? Yeah. Wow. Now, do you do much in uniforms yourself? Um, yeah, I do. I don't try to go out of my way. Uh, uniforms are very plentiful. It's uniforms that either have history by being from a famous person or from someone, even if they weren't famous, but they have a, an interesting history. You know, they, they won medals, they were heroes. After that, if then it depends on the insignia, because a uniform is the same, pretty much the same. Now, sometimes, again, uniforms are made in the theater, just like the insignia on them. And that's what will add to the value. If you The insignia that's actually on the uniform, if it isn't someone who is of note, then whatever insignia they decided to buy that wasn't standard issue would also then, you know, make the piece more valuable. Hmm. So, again, it's just, it, there's so many different little nuances that, that make things more or less 
collectible. I mean, mm-hmm. in in the um, the military world, paratrooper items, airborne, yeah, like the Band of Brothers, that type of thing, that very very hot. Sure. Um, driven for years by the European market and then also by the American market. First of all, going into European nations, is Russian collectible? It is. I find Russian and Japanese have always fallen behind because you're not using the same alphabet. Um, hmm. So the interest has been there, but people haven't felt as comfortable. You know, they can, they can look at it. They can't just use a quick dictionary to find out what, what the, wow. the word is on the badge, let's say. Oh, identify it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's been, been the issue there. I mean, Russian's always been intriguing to people, especially during the Cold War. Then, then even the post-war stuff was of interest. Now it's more World War II and earlier mm-hmm. that has people's interest um, in that area. And so let's talk about German items. Um, well, you know, not just, uh, you know, when everyone says the word German, people immediately think of Nazi Germany. But uh, also because of my dealings in World War One, Imperial German is quite uh, popular as well, especially in the aviation area. Hmm. You know, the Red Baron and all those thoughts. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they were the, the kings of the air. I mean, they really mm-hmm. had amazingly trained pilots, much as they did in World War II. Um, you know, we got into World War II just a little bit after the Germans. And I, I have to look up the numbers to see what our highest scoring ace was. I want to say it's around 75 uh, but uh, you know, Germans regularly had 200, 300 kills. Wow. Yeah, you know, because they were fighting against the Russians and they were just kind of sending up planes oh, yeah. constantly and just shooting them That's down. so brutal. Yeah, it really is. Unbelievable. Unbelievable mm. warfare, unbelievable uh, humanity. Yeah, more brutal of humanity in that war than between the Russians and Germans, oh, at yeah. least, yes. Yeah, it was just unbelievable. Mm. But um, now that, you know, I think people are just really intrigued by the whole thing, you know, this mm-hmm. small country, you know, just really becoming such a amazing force, right. you know, and just, uh, you know, on the brink of taking over the world kind of thing. You and, know? and Germans also, their uniforms were very nice. Oh, yeah. Everything and about them everything was, was sharp. Yeah, they, they planned, they wanted to look their best all the time. Yeah. But, it's amazing. You, you look at the stuff, and it's no wonder people collect it. You know, beautiful enamel and everything. Yes. Uh, now, we'll talk about Nazi, and I know some people might be offended out there about Nazi, but it is part of it is part of history. Exactly. And uh, it is very, very collectible. Now, I remember years ago hearing about, I may get this totally wrong, Rhone? Rome. Rome. Yeah, Ernst. The Rome uh, knives that were ground. Right. He, um, Rome was an early... Uh, leader within the SA and uh, had a falling out with Hitler. Because he was homosexual. Well, yeah, like that, that and, and I think there were just power struggles. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't done great reading on it. My main interest is not in, in the, uh, you know, the German area, especially when you get into the political uh, aspect. But, yeah, so when he, when they disposed of him, he had given out a lot of uh, presentation daggers to people mm-hmm. that were kind of up and coming within the SA, the stormtroopers and the Brown Shirts organization. And um, so technically that was supposed to be uh, removed from the blade, you know, uh, mm-hmm. orders were given. So sometimes people would just have the the name removed so that you could still ha- see that it was a presentation dagger. Sometimes the whole thing was removed. Sometimes it was done perfectly. Sometimes it was done shoddily. And uh, sometimes they left it alone. And, uh, you know, maybe they had enough clout within the organization or enough money, they just tucked that one away, got a new one or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so they're pretty rare, and they, they exist. I've seen them, you know, ones that weren't round, but uh, they command a... Are they the most uh, valuable uh, dagger? Oh, God, no, no. They're, they're, uh, they're presentation-grade SS daggers. Now, okay. anything, anytime the quintessential value item in German collecting, Nazi collecting, is anything to do with the SS. Hmm. They, they're just the, the, you know, the... The elite forces in the military—they're kind of like the special, our special forces of Vietnam and today—and then they were also kind of the the higher-up um, police force within the political aspect of the country, and they ran the secret police of the country, and they ran the concentration camps. So hmm. they did everything that is Nazi, and so if you're collecting Nazi. Yeah. You collect that. And, you know, most of the people that I know that collect Nazi are not, you know, in any way, shape, or form Nazis or racists or anything. They collect it because of just, you know, what took place at that yeah. moment of history in the middle of the century. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so... I think that's important to note because... Uh, absolutely. You know, a, a lot of people take... Would want nothing to do with it. It's same sure. thing with KKK. Oh, sure. Things which is horrible. These are horrible situations, but sure. part of our history. Exactly, and it's like you know the the thing that I always feel or believe in is that you know, like it said, if you forget about history, you're doomed to repeat it. And uh, <laughs> you know, if you just want to make right. it seem like this stuff never existed, sooner or later it's going to rear its ugly head again. So it's best to kind of keep it there, keep it in public eye, keep it memory of it, so it doesn't happen again. I think that's a safer way to do it. Yeah. Can you talk about what your best find was since you've been at it? Um, I'd say the, the single most valuable item that I came across um, was probably a uh, actually a Nazi item. The, the SA, the stormtroops, uh, you know, during the 1930s, the, with the, the rise of power of Hitler and everything, the, uh, you know, there are tons of parades. We've seen all the pictures and stuff like that, you know, and they had the Deutschlander Wacht um, banners. And those Deutschlander Wacht banners are a very iconic piece of Nazi memorabilia. And I happened to come across one at an auction here in New Hampshire that was for what's known as a Reiter Regiment, or a mounted SA unit, which then it's a rarer type of unit inside the organization to boot. Now, the interesting thing is it was at a, at a, a gun auction here, and it was well publicized. It was, it was like a week or two before the biggest show of the year pertaining to German military, and that's called the Max in Pittsburgh, um, Pennsylvania, that takes place you know, usually in the fall. And so that helped me a little bit. I think people were just so focused on dealing with their, their European customers because a lot of the German stuff that, that shows up in this country gets bought back by German dealers and other European dealers and brought back over to Europe to be sold. Really? Yeah, wow. because we took the stuff back by the truckload. <laughs> That's right. As, as souvenirs. Yeah. So the interesting thing was um, I, I went to the auction just to preview it. I saw the piece. I knew it was real. I left a bit. I didn't expect to get it. Um, I left a, a low five figures bid on it and uh, didn't really think much of it after that. And so then uh, I'm, I'm driving somewhere, stopped at the post office, grabbed my mail, and looking through the mail as I'm driving, and I see a, a notice from the auction house, and I open it up, and I'm, suddenly I'm thinking, oh, wow, I, I wonder if I won that flag. Oh, that's going to cost me some money. And I got it for my minimum bid. Mm. And uh, I got it for $2,000. Mm-hmm. And it was a $35,000 flag. Wow. Yeah. 
and because of its rarity, I mean, they're all at least a $25,000 flag, these Deutschlander Bach uh, banners, but this one being a little bit nicer, mm. it's worth a little bit more. And then the really funny thing that I found out, because I'm, I'm blown away now, you know, like, how did I get this thing so cheap? <laughs> and uh, I happened to talk to a local dealer who doesn't really get involved with the national scene, who was actually the guy that I was set up next to as a college student um, oh, really? at the flea yeah. market. Still and, in touch with him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well. And, uh, and uh, I don't see him too often, but I did. And I, I was visiting him at his house, and, you know, he said, oh, did you find anything new and great lately? And I said, well, yeah, actually... Uh, I picked up, you know, I tell him about the flag, and he looks at me real stern. He said, you know, Ron, word on the street is that's a fake. I'm like, well, I'm glad that was the word on the street. <laughs> <laughs> that really made my, the, latter, the last quarter of my year, let me tell you. You know, I've seen that happen before at auctions when someone's trying to steal something. But normally, they buy, someone starts a rumor where something's fake. Sure. And they're the ones who buy it. Right, right. You yeah, know? no, this was not yeah. the case. People truly believed it was no good. Wow. Yeah. Was it, like, in such good shape? It was in pretty good shape. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was really in exceptional condition. It had been well cared for. Probably rolled up in a cedar chest and left, you know, all these years kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. What direction do you think collecting is going? Do you think it's going to revolve into Iraqi war, and do you think it's it's moving forward um, as far as what people collect? The real reason that World War II militaria got so big is because of the baby boomer generation. Their mm -hmm. parents and uncles and everybody else, you know, brought things back, and yep. the stuff was roaming around the house, roaming around yard sales, and then they took the stuff from being worth 25 cents to being worth 2,500 or 25,000. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's... As time marches on, uh, when I got involved, Vietnam was becoming really big, and, and I could have gotten involved in that, I guess. It just I never really had an affinity with that particular war. And then definitely, uh, you know, people do covet some of the desert war, you know, Iraqi war stuff really? now already. And That's definitely. amazing. In fact, I know a guy who was a combat medic, and I told him, I said, keep all your stuff together. You know what you yeah. use on each tour? Put it in a box that was just, you know, this is what I wore in this tour. I say, in 25 years, people are going to be really coveting mm -hmm. what you used as a combat medic in Iraq. I think that's really a very good point to bring up in this, is that there is a, a connection with these things from our past. Generally speaking, it's our, could be even our grandparents, but our, at least our parents, and then when it falls away, it has to be something pretty important. Like Civil War is very important, and there's right. no connection. Right. Uh, you know, there's there's long connection sure. to Civil War, but no immediate connection. Right. So it has to be pretty important historically to hold in there and hold solid, right? Right. And what I've found, you know, what I collect myself, the aviation and, and kind of the more rare aspects of aviation. Mm -hmm. Again, when I look at um, who's collecting what. I'll see, okay, you know, these guys that have money, the doctors, lawyers, whatever, are collecting this World War I aviation or these elite units of aviation. You know, with my experience, again, these same guys are also collecting probably elite units in the airborne field and things like that. But again, so it's like, okay, that's the stuff that's going to maintain a value. So if people not just are collecting for their, their own historical aspect, but if it gets into being expensive and they want to, gee, am I buying the right thing? Then that's what I say. That's, you know, if I've looked at what the people who have money who aren't going to let these things lose value, what are they collecting? And that's where I can, you know, give advice in that area. Great. Great, Ron. This has been a real pleasure 
lot of great information. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Marty. It's been a ball. And again, um, Ron, your website one more time? FlyingTigerAntiques.com. So if anyone out there has any questions about anything, can they email you an image and ask you for advice? Certainly. Great. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. On our website, antiqueauctionforum.com, please stop by the forum message board. Click on the community tab at the top of the menu bar and you can join in on a topic, post your own website links, and do a lot more. Thanks so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's show.